the biggest human involvement we have, which I think is an important involvement, uh, we do have uh, some pretty fantastic chefs that are in our mix that help design our recipes. There's end of the day, there's a limitation to what this machine can do, but what we're not limited to is how we, uh, how we source our ingredients and the quality of the ingredients and the quality of our sauces and, and, and making sure that the impact of this machine's limitation is not limited to the greatness of the food that we produce. So elements of molecular gastronomy come into our creation of our sauces. So all that talented work of a chef, which I think is a right talent to deploy is the creation of the recipes and then coming up with product innovation. But on the science part, uh, this is where it gets really interesting. So machine does all this hardware uh, robotic stuff, but it's also controlled by programming. Uh, the programming does numerous things for us. It not only monitors the performance of the machine at any given moment in time, it's remotely monitored. It can be fixed remotely in many cases, uh, but also in terms of food traceability. So every time an ingredient silo is put inside the machine, uh, it scans a barcode. It knows exactly what the traceability requirements of the food is. Hello, food enthusiasts from the Future Foodcast. We're so glad that you've tuned in today. We have a treat for you. I'm Pam Miller, and I'm going to be your host for this interview with Nippon Sharma. He is the CEO of SJW Robotics. And wait until you hear what they have going on. First of all, let me welcome you. Uh, thank you, Pam. Thank you for the wonderful welcome. I'm really excited to be on the show. I've heard lots about it. And uh... I've listened to some of the podcasts. I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, we are waiting until our audience hears. They're going to be excited uh, that you are a part of it because you have a lot of innovation going on. You know, Future Foodcast, one of our missions is that we really want to bring to our audience the trends and, and the innovations that are going on to take advantage of those trends, as well as some of the challenges that are happening in the food industry. And you are right in the middle of several of those. Uh, first of all, the trends and innovation. Uh, your innovations are great. Tell us about your robotics company and what you're doing there. All right. So uh, SJW Robotics, we started the company about two and a half years ago. And really the origin was to solve uh, a problem that I had with one of my restaurants. Uh, in particular, a concept that I created for a grocery store chain, a restaurant inside the grocery store chain. And the conundrum I had was I knew that uh, labor had been a problem for a long time in our industry. Uh, I know COVID pretty much made the news obvious to everybody, but this was creeping up to us for a good decade past. And I realized one of my stations in the kitchen was going to be extremely hard uh, to find employment for. And, uh, and it happened. Uh, we put out job postings for uh, many, many months. We didn't even get a single response, let alone finding somebody that wasn't very good. And this happened to me in my walk station. And uh, I, we knew that it would be a challenge. And we went into it hoping to find uh, a solution from other robotic companies in the universe. So we contacted numerous companies to see what's going on in food automation. Companies all over the world had some kind of tinkerings. And we tried to see if some, some of those could fit our needs. And then uh, we came to a conclusion that a lot of these are really far away from servicing what we need in the restaurant business. We need high volume. Uh, we need high speed to make food and automation that can respond to that complex uh, question. So we took matters into our own hands and we partnered up with some of the top robotic engineers and created something called Rowalk, a robotic walk system. So what started as you know filling a small need, automating a component of the restaurant operations 
uh, it evolved into something pretty special and it became a fully autonomous standalone restaurant with zero on-site employees. And I'm happy to say that that quest came to uh, an important milestone on December 7th. We had a demo day. We invited uh, customers and investors and everybody and a lot of people from the media to come see this machine. And uh, you can see it behind in my in my Zoom call. It's a standalone restaurant where you go, you order your food, you on on your phone on the touchpad, and it cooks meat to order meals for you. Uh, this particular model focuses on Asian cuisine. That means anything to do with noodles and rice and uh, curry-based dishes and pad thais and Singapore noodles and what have you. And it's made to your order, made to your specs, and it's delivered and made in about a minute for you to you know pick up and eat. That is so much information. I, I'd like to unpack a little bit of that because I, I want to get into actually the technology, which is so innovative within your product. But let's back up just a little bit to the very beginning and what caused you to start on this robotic entrepreneurial journey because you have a rich history in the food industry as a chef and in restaurants, correct? You have run restaurants and, and you were having trouble with the people and, and staffing, which is a big problem that we're having now with restaurants. Is that what initially got you started? Absolutely. So, you know, I've been in the business for about 18 years now, and I've literally uh, run concepts ranging from steakhouses to vegan concepts and everything in the middle. So I've done Asian, Middle Eastern, Indian, smoothie concepts, coffee chain, steakhouses, you name it, I've done it all. And I'm not a chef personally, but uh, every time I take over a concept, uh, I go in the heart of the business, the kitchen. How do I make my kitchens more efficient, smaller, uh, requires less expertise, less food wastage, uh, better food quality, better food consistency. How do we do all that stuff? So you know, part of my research has been to look at innovation in the kitchen side of the business worldwide and how can I apply some of these metrics to our business. And having done so many concepts and I've you know, expanded chains across Canada, across the world, I take best practices for one concept. And when I take over the next concept, I try to see if I can you know, use that information to make my next project better and more efficient. Uh, at one point, you hit a wall because at that point, it's the human factor. You see, the way we design our kitchen, we design it around, I wouldn't say weakness, but limitations of a human body. How tall is a typical person in a kitchen? How do we design a kitchen where they can work without hurting themselves and, 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 and accommodating the inefficiencies of the human body? So if my human being was you know, 12 feet tall, Arnold Schwarzenegger, 18 arms and eight heads, I would design my kitchen differently. So when we looked at you know, the problem in the kitchen, we didn't see how do we duplicate the movement of a human being. Uh, we said, okay, here's the raw materials. Here's the finished product. How do we go from A to B in the most efficient way possible? So how do we eliminate that uh, limiting factor of using a human being for an inspiration? So that's where we sort of started the project. And you're right, our, our, our problem was uh, labor. Uh, labor was, you know, over the years, in my almost two decades in the business, uh, sometimes it was hard to find in certain areas Sometimes the quality was not great. Sometimes the reliability wasn't great. And the trends have changed. And I think the last decade or more, and certainly in some parts of the world, and I'm talking pretty much every country, uh, you've started to sense in the bones that something is off. This is a problem that's not going away. It's just becoming bigger and bigger. I equated to you know, running a blockbuster video store in the Netflix world. We know something is wrong. We try to patch it to get to the next day. But I think the business cycles have shrunk so much things that used to take a generation to unfold can happen in a couple of years. And so that, that thing has been happening in the industry. We were feeling it. 
Uh, so that was the reason why we looked into it. And that's how we approached the technology uh, to deliver on that promise. I think what I'm hearing really differentiates your project from prior projects because people have tried to automate cooking and what happens in the kitchen before, but you used your wealth of knowledge in different concepts and different restaurant models. You were improving as you went along. The things that worked best, you were taking with you to try to incorporate into the next project is part of what I heard. But then the second thing is, you're not trying to just duplicate the human movement because that in itself really is not necessarily the most efficient way to get from the raw food to the end product. You said you hired a robotics firm to act or an engineering firm to actually go through. So talk to, tell us a little bit about the process of coming up with this autonomous unit. So yeah, so my situation was a bit unique because uh, I didn't really plan to do so many different kinds of concepts. It just so happened, you know, range between quick service to fine dining to family dining chains and everything in the middle. So it was just a coincidence. My background was varied and I'm not a chef, but uh, I make sure the restaurants that I run deliver the best food imaginable. So my approach was always different because I was sort of the outsider. My career started in investment banking and private equity. So not really food related. I had never worked in a restaurant in my life prior to the first one that I started. Uh, so I learned the things the hard way. But when I met uh, the engineers, so my partner in the business, Brian Walker, uh, he has been uh, for 21 years leading the robotics and automation for Magna International, an automated parts manufacturer, one of the largest in the world. And his entire life has been about robotics and automation for the automotive industry. So it was all about how do we make things move, connect, uh, how do we use sensors, how do we use uh, autonomous movement to make different things come together. And Ryan has, is completely removed from the food and restaurant industry uh, as it gets. So his world was different, his view was different. So when I was making sketches for Ryan, how would I design a kitchen as I designed many different kinds of kitchens? Where is the bottleneck? Where do I need automation? Uh, and so I'd sketched out in my head what this could be like, but I needed an engineer to validate that. So for Ryan, this was very easy because yeah, this is far less complicated than what we do in the automotive industry. And this is how I would enhance this, this, this sketch of yours. So as we went down that rabbit hole, we came up with something we thought was pretty special. I, I couldn't believe it. For me, it was magic. And for Brian, it was a Tuesday. And uh, so then when we finished that, we filed for some patents. We went on a search for the right engineering company to partner with us to make our phase one prototype. And we stumbled upon this amazing company that uh, really specializes in automation and robotics for large scale food manufacturing and the pharmaceutical industry. So they understand what it takes for electrical uh, certification, HVAC requirements, plumbing requirements, uh, what it takes to run machines and equipment in different parts of the world and have the certifications in place to be allowed to cook food in different parts of the world. So having that depth of knowledge and having that into our design from D1, we weren't making something that may or may not work. We were producing something that would work uh, from people that have done it for a combined experience of hundreds of years and putting that uh, level of sophistication in our team on an engineering and robotic standpoint uh, with my sort of functional knowledge of what the kitchen of the future could be like. Mm -hmm. uh, so this coincidental team, I think was, uh, what helped us deliver on, uh, on, on, this, on this project. Well, it sounds like you sought out the experts for each of the pieces that you were putting together and, and the restaurant experience or cooking experience wasn't the most important part of that. 
It was the knowledge of, because of, you wanted to bring in efficiency, you wanted to eliminate the human element for the staffing issues that you were having, and, and you want to rely on that to be able to deliver the product continuously. And you also wanted to maximize your food usage while you're be efficient with that and not have the food waste, minimize your food waste and, and try to use all that you had. Can you tell us how the insides work a little bit? It's so interesting to think about just walking up to something and ordering a meal that would be in a walk. So tell me how that would work. You touched upon an important point. Uh, you know, as we were not retrofitting an existing restaurant and being constrained by what that means, uh, we thought if we had to start from scratch, what would the restaurant for the next generation, a quick service restaurant look like? It was important for us to have uh, you know, carbon neutrality as a, and sustainability as a key component of this business. It was important for us to have food safety and food traceability a key component of this. So when you're starting from scratch, it's easier, I think, in many ways to develop uh, your wish list as opposed to coming and retrofitting an existing old school uh, business. So so our rest, the, the whole process is, is quite simple if you think about it. So it's divided into really uh, three components, uh, food storage, uh, food manipulation, and food cooking. And so the first part is the refrigerated part. This is where all the ingredients are stored. That's your broccoli, your chicken, your onions. It's been pre-cut to the specs like any restaurant would typically get from a food service supplier. And this is where it's stored. And this is monitored very carefully in both in terms of when uh, the shelf life of the product ends, uh, what is the total volume of food sitting inside, and how it is how it is dispensing accurately by whatever recipe that's programmed. So we're agnostic in terms of uh, what recipe uh, anybody would like, uh, what uh, personalization people would want in their meals. So these containers, uh, and we've developed some pretty interesting patterns on how to dispense all these ingredients perfectly accurately. So whenever an order is placed, uh, so part one, is where all your protein and your vegetables gets dispensed automatically from this dispensing auger system. Then it goes down the line and it collects the starch. That could be your noodles or it could be your rice in this particular case. And then that food, which is quite cold in temperature, it passes through a steam tunnel to bring the temperature up so it gets ready for cooking. Meanwhile, the woks, I call them woks because they have inspiration from the wok based cooking. Wok, to me, are one of the most interesting pieces of uh, equipment ever made because the way you sizzle the food up in a wok, it bathes in its own vapors and it hits carbon steel at 400 degrees. You have this amazing sizzling fresh, uh, you know, pad thai that's being cooked for you. Uh, so we use the principles and the materials of a wok, but we created our own wok based drum system that does a lot of the same impact of a wok, but of course, minus a human being. So this is the wok where, again, a typical pad thai would start with, you know, oil being dropped in a really hot wok and the wok, instead of a human hand, the wok is spinning, rotating and revolving. Uh, and then it gets the egg dispensed into it. Meanwhile, the food from the food tunnel comes in. It uh, joins the rest of the ingredients inside the wok. It gets sprayed with all the different sauces that are required for this particular recipe. It cooks, it tumbles, it twists and turns, and it deposits all that stuff into a bowl. Uh, the bowl moves forward, it gets sealed, and it goes in a cubby where you tap your phone, pick up your bowl, you're on your way. Meanwhile, the wok system starts this self-cleaning uh, process. Uh, it cleans itself with high-pressure steam and uh, other food-grade uh, sort of uh, solutions, and it gets back into the cooking cycle. So any given moment in time, we have six of these woks working concurrently, which allows us to give a pretty high throughput and give us to 60 to 70 meals an hour. 
well, I need one of them cooking for me right now because you're making me really hungry <laughs> talking about all this great fresh food and these recipes with the pad thai. I, it's a it's a fantastic concept. And, and now you have actually a working unit, which is very exciting. You had mentioned that early on. Uh, another thing that you talked about in there was the, the accuracy. You know, the, the food prep happens just like any other restaurant. However, the, the accuracy of the measuring to go into the particular recipe, even if you have a human doing that, there's a lot of it errors being made there and a lot of food waste or you're serving too much or not enough of any particular ingredient. But this system ensures that you're getting exactly what the recipe calls for. And you talked about uh, knowing what food is in there at any given time. And, and how does that work as far as refilling it or knowing when you're almost out? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the, the uh... The biggest human involvement we have, which I think is an important involvement, uh, we do have uh, some pretty fantastic chefs that are in our mix that help design our recipes. There's end of the day, there's a limitation to what this machine can do, but what we're not limited to is how we source our ingredients and the quality of the ingredients and the quality of our sauces and, and, and making sure that the impact of this machine's limitation is not limited to the greatness of the food that we produce. So elements of molecular gastronomy come into our creation of our sauces. So all that talented work of a chef, which I think is a right talent to deploy is the creation of the recipes and then coming up with product innovation. But on the science part, uh, this is where it gets really interesting. So a machine does all this hardware uh, robotic stuff, but it's also controlled by programming. Uh, the programming does numerous things for us. It not only monitors the performance of the machine at any given moment in time, it's remotely monitored. It can be fixed remotely in many cases, uh, but also in terms of food traceability. So every time an ingredient silo is put inside the machine, uh, it scans a barcode. It knows exactly what the traceability requirements of the food is. And as we go down the inventory, uh, there's a couple of interesting things that come in. First, you know, when the inventory is running low, the operator will be notified to, you know, refill our chicken or refill the onions. So it's managed very, very accurately. Because we know the shelf life issues, we can actually do a number of things with that. We can self-generate promotions. You know, chicken fat type, 50% off because chicken is expiring next day. So the inventory management becomes pretty sophisticated if we add AI and data science to it. We start monitoring regional preferences in food. Or we know how to adjust the recipes. Uh, we know the events that are taking place in the environment that could impact uh, the food inventory. For example, you know, in a busy airport in Christmas season, you know, you better get ready for high volume of food. If there's a storm, nobody's going to be at the airport. So maybe you know, marketed that way on the street level. We know that sporting games or concerts, construction. A storm in Florida can you know, triple your price of tomatoes. Maybe we don't sell tomatoes tomorrow. So when you get really, really efficient with managing the information flow and feeding that in real time to learn at the machine level, we really take away the limitations of human beings making guesses. A lot of food wastage happens because of our inability to accurately assess what's happening in the environment and, and manage our inventory this way. Right. In the traditional, what you just said, in the traditional restaurant environment, the ordering and projections of what usage is going to be is usually done by a human. But in this situation, you've gone to the next level and you can have some of those impacts calculated in to what you think the future or what the unit thinks the future usage is gonna be. And I'm sure that will improve over time as you're able to prove out the concept and, and fine tune what inputs you want the computer to have in order to make these decisions, right? 
The other thing that you said, which is really interesting to me, is that when something might be running low, you use the chicken as an example, you know that the code date, or well, it could be running low, or the code date uh, is really the example you used coming up maybe the next day or within 48 hours. And so the, you can run a special on that and use up. And so you're not going to waste that raw material product, which is different than, uh, you know, that doesn't always happen with the human element in there. And I just, I just love how you've really just taken uh, some of the decision-making to the, to the next level. The other thing I heard you say in the process, when you're explaining that was how easy it is for the person they're ordering and it's ready and they just swipe their phone. So the payment methods you're offering, what, what are those? So we've, in terms of operations, we've pretty much taken uh, the technology that a typical quick service restaurant would do. Of course, you know, QR codes became popular because of COVID, but uh, we'll have that as an option. If you don't want to come too close to the machine, each machine will have at least two big touchpads so you can order from there directly. Uh, you can order from your phone, an app, website, and street location. You can actually order from third-party aggregators, be it you know, Uber Eats or Skip or whatever is popular because all that communicates down into our central ordering platform. So it communicates directly with the machine. So when you place your order, again, it doesn't matter if it's coming from Uber, if it's coming from your phone, if it's coming from the machine, you get to customize it, choose it. You can tell it when you want it picked up. So it'll start cooking it when you arrive. So in an airport, that becomes interesting. Uh, it's closer to your gate and, and it, we can use many ways to make sure that the food starts getting prepared uh, for when you want to have it picked up. So the technology, I'm, I'm happy to say that's not our proprietary because a lot of these things already exist in the quick service and I've been using them uh, in my other restaurants. So really robust uh, uh, platforms that integrate with our computer that's inside the machine. So that's uh, That was the easy part, of, uh, uh, surprisingly. <laughs> Well, you, it sounds like you made it very open. It's it's more of an open platform. You're not making it a proprietary situation where you can only order from your app and to directly to your row walk. And that's R-O-W-O-K, correct? For our audience that might want to look this up and see where you're going to be next. But yeah. I, I really like that. People are used to, like you said, there's a lot more going on with the order at home or the touchless food delivery situation and the like the Uber Eats or others, and you're taking advantage of that, or you're you're just folding into that system that's already in there instead of making this a brand new thing that somebody has to learn. It's going to be so easy for them to just assimilate. You talked about different locations and you talked about street level, airport, different store. What are the requirements for your unit as far as location? Yeah, so that was the other interesting thing. We took inspiration from uh, food trucks and RVs as a starting point. How do we make this real estate agnostic? Uh, you know, the two things that really kill a restaurant is rent and labor costs. That's about 50%, occupancy costs and labor. And the amount of money it takes to construct a restaurant. You might have your profitability in EBITDA, but you have a bank loan that's taking all of that for the next five to seven years. So I'm like, how do we take away those protocols? It takes a long time to negotiate leases. You have to be in the right place. The right place costs way too much money, both in terms of construction and rent. So when we looked at labor, we're like, what's the other inefficiency in the system that we can tackle? So we designed this for the principles of a food truck, which can be pretty much parked anywhere, right? So we're like, how do we, how do we make this flexible? So how do we put restaurants in places where restaurants couldn't traditionally go? Uh, how do we optimize uh, usage of real estate? And I don't have to worry about negotiating and finding the right space or the right place. Uh, we can be anywhere. 
So we can be in a parking lot, we can be in a corridor of a building, we can be in a university, hospital, office towers, and uh, can't give names out, but uh, electric car uh, companies that uh, would love to have this in charging stations, some of them are in remote locations. Our biggest requirement, Pam, is electricity. So that is a symbiotic relationship. So uh, it's a plug and play system. So we designed this to be very modular for two reasons. One is that, uh, you know, this is a big machine. It's about 13 feet long, now seven feet tall and four feet deep. And to move it through a regular building door could be challenging. So it comes in parts and gets assembled inside. The modularity allows us to outsource certain production as well. Uh, but it gives us flexibility to get into any real estate. And all we would require at that point is a plumbing connection, electrical requirement. Uh, but the machine would be self-supporting at that point. Uh, the other advantage of having that approach is for whatever reason, we pick a wrong location and I will just move it to another one. So well, when you pick a bad location for a restaurant, you're pretty much done. Uh, here we can just put the wheels on and just slide it over to the next place that better suits our needs. So yeah, so that's sort of the origins of our requirements in real estate is pretty much can go anywhere. And I like the idea that it's modular too, because you can, like you said, that gives you some flexibility as far as sourcing your products to put this together and, and where you want that done. And then you can bring all that together and also moving it. You, you can move it in, in the parts, like you said, which is much easier to do than thinking about having to put the whole unit on some kind of big truck and get it mm -hmm. to where it needs to be. But that, that flexibility, Nippon, that gives you the ability to really, your market is, is pretty much open. <laughs> you, can, you can be anywhere. They could rent you for a big fair that might be going on, just like they would have a food truck there. Or you could be a fixture in an office building or, like you mentioned, an airport. I've been through the airport during the pandemic where none of the restaurants are open. I was so glad I had a food <laughs> bar in my bag because there were the restaurants were all closed down and that was a people problem and also the pandemic problem but uh this would eliminate that you could still have a product like this a, a station like this the self-contained and and so there's no uh, ac or heat or any of those environmental concerns you don't need to worry about any of that no it's pretty self-contained and if you think about airports uh a lot of the airports have the designated, you know, food court kind of environments, which are not necessarily convenient uh, or close to your gate. So oftentimes you make a choice to just sit close to your gate so you can just board your plane. What if this was right in front of you? So we don't have to limit ourselves to being in that food court. And again, you have to be in that food court because of what you just mentioned, the HVAC requirements, the plumbing requirements are very specific. How do you take care of uh, all the air and, and jettison all that stuff out so you can just put that in every corner of the airport so this is self-contained uh, so uh, you know we have self-contained uh, hvac has been around for a while for certain ovens that can uh, be flexible so you don't have to have everything under the hood of a of, of, a, of a kitchen so that the self-contained equipment allowed uh, kitchens to become a bit more flexible in design uh, so borrowed stole that idea from some of the other uh, self-contained hvac system and said we can just apply that over here so that means uh, there's no problems of orders, external evacuation of air, all that remains fully uh, compact and you know, the job of the operators to change the air filter like every 30 days, that kind of stuff. Sure, just the general maintenance that would be normal for any kind of food production uh, facility. Let me ask you a couple of questions about the front end of, of really the supply chain of your food. 
Uh, do you have some, you talked about the traceability of the food once it gets in and you know what's in there and what the code date is and all of that. But what about on the front end getting to you? What about traceability there? So, you know, I've been in the chain restaurant business for a long time and increasingly, I think most chains, uh, especially bigger chains, they use partners that have those, those capabilities in place. Uh, and traceability is taken on another level uh, thanks to blockchain where things are becoming more tight. So there's lesser reason for people to have uh, you know, fake, uh, you know, fish is a big one. It could be something that, that's not exactly what you think it is, but it tastes very similar. But traceability allows uh, a lot of interesting things. You know, it, it does impact inventory management and everything else we've talked about and product innovation. So that is not our expertise, but we would you know, make sure that we procure food from people that have those tick marks for us. Uh, for us, traceability is important and we know which partners provide that in the restaurant landscape. What's also important for us is uh, uh, sustainability, both in terms of the raw materials that we buy for the food. It's a choice that operators get to make. The materials that we use for the bowls that people use and also materials that we use for the construction of this machine. Not to mention the water consumption and everything else that's happening inside this place is uh, is is. You know, we're aiming for carbon neutrality. We're pretty close to it because we don't have the inefficiencies of a typical restaurant system. You know, a typical walk system, for example, has a continuous flow of water throughout the day as long as the restaurant's operating. We don't have that flow. So just on that level alone, we don't use water the way a typical restaurant does. We don't use electricity and we don't emit fumes like a typical restaurant does. Those are such big pluses in the in the positive column for this whole concept. And what about the packaging? I think you also probably are concerned about sustainability and minimum usage and all of that with your packaging as well, right? Hundred percent. You know, we uh, we are using perishable packaging. It was tough for the machines to be able to incorporate that. It's easier on a restaurant level. It's easier to pick up plastic uh, when you when you're moving things around a system like this. Uh, but that was a challenge for engineers to make sure of that. So yeah, from utensils to raw materials to packaging, everything sort of had to have a check mark. But again, it's in many ways easier because we're starting from scratch. So we could design our bowl holders based on what's available in the market that meets our needs. So we really went back to the basics to start from scratch. Yeah. Well, you are definitely a forward thinker, and I'd really like to hear what your future thoughts are about where this concept might take the food industry. What, what do you really hope happens here? I think there's something to be said for the demand for functional food. Increasingly, people cook less. Uh, we love our deliveries. We love our cooking shows. We don't necessarily cook at home. And our taste palettes have expanded exponentially over the years. Something that used to be niche of one generation ago is, you know, Tuesday lunch for most people. I'm talking people all ages. And the thing I've been seeing is, yeah, I was born and raised in India. Um, and I finished my university in Canada. I spent a big part of my professional life in the U.S. and in Europe. Spent a lot of time in Asia. From what I've been seeing since I was in high school to today, every country was very unique. Uh, now it's hard for me to differentiate which Starbucks I'm in because increasingly all the countries are similar. We all eat identical foods everywhere. And I've opened restaurants in the Middle East to you know, corners of the US, to Europe. And the trends are very, very similar. Uh, we're evolving because of, I guess, Instagram. We like the same things and we have some of the same sensibilities. So in terms of our taste palettes, I think the trends are continuously going to be exciting because we've expanded our palettes. Uh, what I do see from my perspective is uh, the environmental component. And I think that will be an important trend. And, and that goes beyond just, uh, you know, meatless uh, vegetarian options. 
It's also the biodiversity on our planet. If restaurants are following one trend like quinoa and, and you know, disrupting the ag business uh, with just that one trend worldwide that's impacting indigenous populations, impacting biodiversity. So the responsibility of restaurants to follow trends blindly without taking into consideration the impact of the environment, I think that will become tighter over time. And I think uh, while we expand our palates and taste buds, the impact of the environment will become more considerable because I think uh, the options are better. It's easier to find these things out. Again, thanks to blockchain, thanks to so much technology, thanks to ag tech, uh, the advancement in agricultural technology. My perspective was this is happening in great ways, not my expertise. I'm stuck in the restaurant farm to fork, I'm the fork here. And a lot of the inefficiencies happen at the fork level. How do we make the fork part of that ecosystem in the back? Uh, in my view, I see functional food uh, becoming more accessible by automation. I think when we go out to restaurants, it's to celebrate, it's to uh, be with friends and family and coworkers. But when you want to grab a quick bite and, and run with it or have it while an office conference call, uh, those components of the industry, I, I think, will be fully autonomous in less than a generation, 100%, because it needs to deliver on quality and it needs to deliver on value. I'm not looking for an experience for my fast food restaurant. I just need the great food and give it to me at a great price. If I want an experience, if I want to enjoy it and celebrate somewhere, then I want to go to a nice restaurant and, and go there. But I think the problem with the quick service universe was they were focusing on experience and then cloud kitchens came by. And people said, I want great food. I want great value. And the traditional industry cannot deliver on value. Not only that, but... The value is great because we, we didn't even talk about all the fresh ingredients you use, which is another demand that is out there from the consumer marketplace really across the world. Everyone is trying to figure out how to eat better, more healthy, and food that tastes good at the same time, yeah. which is what I hear you delivering. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience before we end up today? I think... Uh... Everybody has to deliver on good quality ingredients. I don't think fast food restaurants, they're trying to call, get away from that name because the implication was the ingredients were not good. But I think every restaurant, every fast food chain has evolved and is delivering on a consumer expectation of uh, traceable food, high quality ingredients. But you see a typical restaurant, the food is only about 25 to 30% of the cost. And so while we can all deliver on that value, it's the inefficiencies in the system that don't deliver value. My 50% of my costs are rent and labor. That 50% is up for grabs. And I think the people that can reduce that 50% to near zero can give you food for significantly less than you're paying today as a consumer while everybody's better off and deliveries become profitable. So I think that ecosystem is, is, is under watch. Uh, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And we want to make sure customers get incredible value. So I think quick service industry's job is everything you said about high quality ingredients, but how do we make sure we give it at the right price? And hopefully, you know, there'll be some answers within the next few years. Uh, there'll be some really, really great answers, I think. Well, I think here you are, Nippon Sharma with SJW Robotics showing up at an inopportune time. I mean, at a perfect time to have this footprint with the row walk. And I'm, I'm excited that I had the opportunity to be on the front end of this product. And what I see is a little bit of an evolution and revolution within the food industry. I really appreciate you being with the future Foodcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Pam. It was really enjoyable talking to you and uh, look forward to uh, hearing more from you guys. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to future Foodcasts. 
Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 